everyone, welcome in this new episode of Humans of SDU. Today we welcome Thomas from the Citizen Science Center of SDU. Hello, thank you for having me, Ludovic. My pleasure. Thomas, you are here to discuss with us about citizen science as they are applied here in Odense at SDU. So tell us more about what are the activities of your center. Sure. I think citizen science in general is a research method where you can engage citizens and communities at large by including them, getting them to contribute to research or having some sort of scientific communication or reciprocality. So it's a term that is often thrown out there, but it's actually also a research method just that you would say qualitative data would be or anthropological methods or whatever. So it's a research method. Also, I think the last few years, citizen participation in research is definitely not a new thing. I think if you go back to 300 years, the first researchers were amateurs who really branched into research. But in modern times, like from the 80s or 90s, and generally by the internet and digitalization, It has grown almost explosively the last few years. So right now, worldwide, if you go to big portals like SciStata or Suniverse, there's somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 active online citizen science projects out there where you and me, other students, everyone who is in general interested in research to some degree can actually participate in research. So it's a really grown area. And the last few years, SDU has sort of become more aware that this is a trend in research that also goes with open science in general. So what we did was we started really totally bottom up. We looked at it and say, oh, this sounds interesting. Then we collected a lot of really good researchers and people who work around research, locked them in a room, threw away the keys and kick them in the behind until they came up with some good solutions. Very, uh, very uh, co-creation. What happened was that they branched out quite a few good ideas on what we could work with, but also had this very, very key knowledge is we actually don't really know what it is yet. That's five years ago. So what happened was we made two tracks. One, we made a network of partners at SDU that did projects, collected a little bit of seed money. And on the other hand, we tried to actually know what it is. And it turns out there is an amazing global citizen science community out there with really, really top researchers, some of them old, a lot of them actually quite young, who sort of are hacking research from within. So they are having this very, very collaborative, democratic, open way of trying to do research. And at SDU, we had to some degree bought into that. So now we have a citizen science knowledge center that I run with a colleague from uh, health science called Anne-Katrine Overgaard. And it is a partnership between everybody at SDU, the faculties, the students, and we're based at the library where I work. And maybe it's because libraries tend to be open and friendly and democratic and take all accounts in. So yeah, we are a formalized unit. We work with researchers, students, a lot of public actors in various degrees, from individual citizens to big NGOs and media. And we do the facilitation of research. And we have done quite a lot of that the last few years. 
Nice. Now we know where to find you. And so you work with researchers to help them implement this method? Yeah, generally you could say that. When we started a few years back, of course, citizen science to some degree were already going on at SDU. And I think citizen science in the modern tense is from natural science. Birds, bees, water quality, uh, physics samples. And at SDU, there were already at natural science some very good researchers who had amazing projects. And I think our goal was not sort of to push that aside and say, yes, now we have to do an SDU way. No, citizen science is a lot like sort of the, the thousand flowers that bloom from within. But we collaborated with these people. They taught us a lot. And from that, it grew into other faculties. So right now, I think with some pride at SDU, we can say that citizen science is not only in its original genesis, which is natural science. Researchers at SDU run projects within all faculties. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later in this podcast, uh, we also have what we think is a really amazing talent program that we did in 2020 with 25, 27 really, really amazing SDU students. So I think we have quite a broad, outspoken thing here with a lot of activities going on, yeah. And could you give us some examples of past or future projects? Uh, I think at this point in time, we have run somewhere between 22 and 23 projects. And in the broader sense, saying there is maybe 5,000 out there, wow, we're really small. But I think we are one of the first universities in Denmark to actually take upon us to try to grow this in a more structured manner. So we collaborate with researchers who are interested and with communities of citizens or NGOs or other partners that are interested. So, for example, a few years ago, we did with the tech professor Henrik Wenzel and the local TV broadcaster TV2 Fynen. We did a, a project on electronic waste called Bring Your Own Device. And I have my six-year-old phone laying on the table, and I know you probably have a phone as well. And what happens also with all the nice equipment you have in your studio here and all our PCs, these things are not designed to last a lifetime. And what happened is that when they are broke, it's very, very difficult to repair them. And also, there is a sort of sense of fashion about this. Every time the new iPhone comes out, or every time there is a new nice tech device, people throw out stuff that are actually still working. So we did an awareness campaign of that, because that is by far the most polluting industry globally. And also, we should mention that a lot of people think air travel pollutes a lot, but streaming and the thing that goes into these devices pollute maybe two or three times more than air travel. And also we found out that a lot of young people were actually not aware of that. So what we did was we did two or three segment citizen science project. We invited everybody at Funen to show up at these dump stations where you hand in your garbage. And what we did was we collected everything of electronic equipment that they wanted to throw out. We tagged it, we wrote where it came from, where they bought it, and whether it was functional or not. So Henrik Wenzel, the tech professor, collected 17 industrial containers of raw research data that was handed in. Then he and a team of PhD students and external experts and students simply tagged everything and wrote it down in a big database, which was research data. But also, as a keen part of that project, dissemination of scientific information to the people. We wanted them 
to understand the problem and try to help us solve it. So there was a dialogue on what we could do, and there were some recommendations that we sent to local politicians, Odense Kommune, national actors in Denmark, but also we reached out to the Danish member of the EU parliament and say, we have these findings. Would you work for le- registration or legislation in the EU that makes these things repairable? And in the end, we collaborated with a number of private companies, typically people who for a living repair these things but are frustrated that they can't get parts. And when they can't get parts, things are thrown out. So it's really sort of a sustainable project, which in the end also, because it's research, ended up with some articles and recommendation by Henrik Wenzel and his research unit. So that's just one example. I think almost 400,000 people on Fynen heard about the project. We had around 1,500 people handing in electronic waste. And Henrik then suggested that, oh, maybe we could actually sell these things back to the people who handed them in. Because within his research area, there's a theory called willingness to pay. So in the end, before Christmas, we made a big flea market. And almost all of the stuff that were repairable were actually sold off afterwards. So it's a really sort of life cycles investigation together with citizens. But of course, we got aided also that the local TV broadcaster thought it was a really cool project. And what we did was we went out to high school students as well in order to say, yeah, how many phones have you had in the last five years? And a lot of them actually changed their phone like every year or second year. So there was a sense that, yeah, the younger generation are probably going to help us save the planet because my generation, the older generation have polluted it. But actually there are also in the younger generation some misconceptions on how we could do this. So it was research and awareness and data collection And it's a fairly classic citizen science project that got a lot of attention and a lot of research data. This project that you mentioned seemed to be very complex and have taken a lot of time. So what are your expectations for the projects that you will hand in to the students next semester? Because obviously it's not the same when you do a project in class or in real life. But as you have shown already in citizen science, the frontier is a bit more blurred. In our center, we are a quite small, agile unit. So the project with Henrik Wenzel actually came about and was concluded in three months, which was, I think, some of the quickest we have actually done. But it also has to do with the unit at Henrik. He's a super efficient, really sort of let's go kind of guy. Merging the conversation a little bit to our talent program, we actually had some really good cases that I think will answer your question. I think, first of all, the project runs in 2022. It is a 20 plus 10 ECTS talent program, and we apply for 25 students. So please come and join us. It's really cool, fun, and you get a really cool certificate. And you actually have the chance to do research with researchers at SGU because every group gets a science advisor. But beside of that, our goal is in theory, practice, and outreach to try to enable the students to do citizen science. So in that sense, we're a little bit different than other universities. Citizen science, as I think I mentioned, if we say it's sort of become prevalent in maybe in the 90s, 1990s, it's a very, very young research method compared to, for example, I don't know, medicine or social science or natural science. These are hundreds, if not a thousand years old. There are already a few minors and master programs available globally, but not in Denmark. These are taught in America and in the UK, 
and they're sort of not to offend my very good colleagues out there if they hear this they are more in a traditional sense a study program probably just as the history i took way back in the time or, or your studies as you have now there is a curriculum there is a number of activities and it's assignments that you get what we try to do during these 20 plus 10 ETS is for students to actually grow and design a citizen science project together with a researcher and in the end at least come up with a concept or a prototype that could be a research project if we could grow it so the first part is of course knowing about citizen science what it is and i can say with some pride that besides some very good stu researchers we also are able to bring in the creme de la creme really of global citizen science entrepreneurs whether it's from uh, extreme citizen science in london or in zurich or cern or some of these places we have a really good network of some world class citizen scientists that are coming in the projects itself we grow them sort of in the first run in the spring and then if the students are willing to participate we try to explore them as real citizen science projects in the fall so 2020 and i think i'm slowly trying to answer your question now and bear with me if i run around a little bit what happened in 2020 was we got off to an amazing start and then corona hit which was a little bit uh, unfortunate for everybody but i think the students that enrolled in the program were extremely interested curious really really hard working students and to our great amazement because of corona and we had to put everything online which was not what we have you know envisioned what happened was that all 27 actually graduated and from that we had nine projects everything from how much digitalization actually pollute and how you could be more aware of trying to use your phone or your device or stream in a different way in in one sense we had together with own jones a cat tracker project because you know cats even though we like them and they're cute and and everything they're also domestic animals and live beside wild animals so they're actually an intrusive species some of own jones's research is actually collect prey that these cats take in and try to map their behavior in order to have a more peaceful sort of coexistence so cats by behavior and putting a gps tracker on them and their owners can actually participate in science by simply having a cat so that was another case but i think what was really interesting was that two of the cases one called rethinking food by an associate professor from colling called daniel wild and a project by professor klaus petersen from welfare studies called our history were actually projects that had a genesis or a first start in our talent program Of course the researchers came up with a case or something they wanted to investigate but it was very much up to the students to try to design the project by citizen science methods for example the our history project we are right now running a quite big citizen science project with 15 high school classes that are taught about citizen science about the welfare state about how you do responsible citizen science methods interviews and what they're doing is they go out in society and interview elderly citizens about their life experience in the welfare state in the 60s 70s and 80s so they upload the interviews to SDU as data for the welfare center study what we also do is we make them available to everybody online because it's open science and god willing and corona willing and everybody willing on friday 225 students come into SDU 
And we have our big grand finale where they're doing their interpretation of their interview by doing a scientific poster. At that point, we will see which ones makes the best. So there's a small jury with historians, with Klaus as being the chairman of the jury. What this represents is that we want not only the data, we want the students' interpretations and their experience on what they work with. And this project grew out of the talent program. The other one by Danielle Wild. Are you aware of something called 50 Future Foods? Have you heard about that before? Nope. In reality, much of the food we buy at our local supermarkets are not really super sustainable. So a couple of years back, a report came out, and this also represents maybe a new trend. It was done by a global food company called Kraft, which you might or might not expect being very sustainable. But the company actually funded research in trying to investigate which are the most sustainable future foods going forward because eventually we are going to deplete the planet of every grown thing if we are not down the line are willing to change. Some of these things are grown locally. Some of them can be brought or imported with much less CO2 print than, than for example, things grown in greenhouses in the Netherlands, just for an example. But one thing is actually to make them available. The other thing is it turns out that Daniel Wild, the researcher, has identified a number of barriers in motivation. For example, you and me, maybe we want to buy more sustainable food. But, you know, we might have a family that don't buy into it. We might have kids that don't really want to eat the stuff we are putting on the table. We, maybe we don't know where to get them, and maybe we don't even know any recipes. So what we did was, or the students envisioned, they built a community of 50 families who investigated what they could do. We had a chef, a cook, for inspiration. So they built a community and shared the stories and the barriers and the pros and the cons with these 50 future foods. What we also did was we did a collaboration with the national Danish broadcaster, Denmark's Radio, because they have a science section or science editor, or whatever you call it. So they helped us try to broadcast some of this and also put out surveys and made a forum for people to discuss. So in the end, research data also came in from that end. So it's to say that if you join our talent program, maybe your project will actually get out there to be a sort of big-scale citizen science project. That's a very nice opportunity. Yeah, it is. And I think what happens in reality in this program, I think we have, of course, SDU has a number of amazing, talented uh, researchers. And I mean, that's their job. Quite a few are interested in citizen science for a number of reasons. Also, well, it gives your research a potential more, more outreach, more democratic edge. It might even get you more data or bigger data. But in the end, I think every researcher are interested in actually doing something that are useful, that does not only end up in a journal and maybe get read two years down the road. Or as my colleague from health scientists uh, faculty told me once, and if I misinterpret this, then you will get calls from the doctors who hear this, but then it would be my fault. Clinical research. Let's say that you want to investigate a certain sort of blood disease or maybe something with crooked toes or something, I don't know. From the time you do the clinical intervention, 
to the data are collected and it's useful and applied to citizens. If I remember correctly, it's something between 10 and 15 years. The example I, I mentioned with uh, Bring Your Own Device, the electronic waste campaign. Of course, in the end, the journal article appeared, I think, 6 or 12 months down the road. But already the data that was collected gave the professor Henrik a possibility to comment on some trends he saw, whether they were applicable to the trends they knew already, what it said about the citizens who handed in these things. So it's also a platform for dialogue between citizens. And, and in the end, you know, 3% of the gross national product in Denmark, 3%, that's, I don't know, 25 or 30 billion kroners are paid by citizens. So you would expect that if the citizens of Denmark finance our work here at SDU, they might want something back. Naturally. We should also say, this being SDU, that citizen science is absolutely comparable with the UN SDGs. We are a sustainability university. We are opening a climate center very soon. And I think the UN SDGs are sort of in alliance with citizen science because in reality, it's really, really hard to prove that the SDGs is actually, you know, moving from A to B, that something is actually done and whether it's measurable. I think if you take sort of the negative approach, the SDGs is a very, very nice political statement, maybe. But in the end, how do we solve them as a society? And of course, citizen science can't do it alone. But there is a roadmap by some of the most premier researchers within citizen science that had made a commitment that they want to grow indicators, that all citizen science projects should have some sort of evidence that we actually apply and try to solve the UN SDGs. And I think that is a little bit sort of a radical rethinking in what else that it, that it is. So again, citizen science, it can't solve everything, but it aligns quite beautifully with this, that people are more interested in research. It's going on out there. But also we at SDU are a sustainable university and you know, citizen science can help to some degree, it can help to that, so yeah. And so could we imagine in a few years a project that would measure how the perception of the students on science changed through your program? Actually, I think I could, to, yeah, because I think a lot of citizen science projects within social science are interested in gaining the wisdom of the crowd which to some degree could be monitoring perception on certain big problems. And for example, we are discussing right now with people from tech faculty. You know, SDU is a premier university and a hub for robotics and flying robots, would, which would be drones. But in the end, as a society, I think a lot of citizens don't really have any uptake on, yeah, we know about it, is it good? Is it bad? Are there problems? Uh, what could it be used for? And I think in trying to answer your question, citizen science can help mitigate technology in trying to perceive sort of a collective decision on what it is. And a little bit the same with students. And we did last year actually a project, it's not exactly what you asked me about, but 
It's a little bit in the sense that during the pandemic, we asked, it was a researcher from uh, literature, Brian Yassel, and from health science, a vaccine researcher called Christine Stapelbin. They wanted to know, based on writing techniques, we simply did a, con a competition for all SDU students called Write Your Future, that how do you envision the world in 2025, past pandemic? We would ask you to consider the following questions, and there was a few things that the participant could think about, but it was not, we tried to steer them in any direction. But what we wanted was, describe a day in your life in 2025. And we were really curious on how that would be perceived, because that's actually quite a difficult uh, proposition. And I remember thinking about it myself, and I thought, oh, 2025, I, I don't know, maybe I live in the same house, or... Maybe I don't have a good enough imagination to, to sort of think of this. But we got over 100 essays of very, very high quality. And I think that Brian and Christine would attest to that that's research data. Because it gives uh, researchers a part of what are your generation of students thinking of perhaps the biggest global problem we have right now, which would be, or at least one of them, which would be COVID-19. And it's really interested for the future prospects on where we are going as society, what a younger generation, also a very uh, competent academic sample of this generation thinks. We were quite upbeat by the results. Also, to make it a little bit sweeter for the students, we did a competition. So the best three actually got a, an award and a little bit of money and was published, and we did a book with the best essays. But we actually plan to do it again this year. Maybe a little bit different flavor, but also with a sort of a, what would you call it, a big, maybe even a meta question. I think, uh, first of all, how do you imagine the world sort of uh, past a pandemic? For a couple of years, things have been quite bleak and, and maybe a little bit dystopic. So how would you imagine coming out on the back end of that? And I think the new project we are going are probably going to be on a SDU project called Connections. And that would probably be more about humanity and how we interact as people. How do we envision fear, hope? Uh, how do we see each other? So it should be framed. I'm just trying to guess a little bit what the researchers would do. But it would probably be on how we perceive each other as human beings. And my question was more about the idea of students probing into other students' work, yeah. like also to have a history of your program and stuff. But yeah, one thing that I like with those examples that you show is that, as you said, pretty much everything can be research data if you take it with the good methods and in a certain frame, let's say. Can you maybe remind us of the timeline of this project? When do the registration open, close, how the selection process will be held. Yeah. The SDU talent program for citizen science, we have a deadline 3rd January. So right now we are on every conceivable platform and by every uh, faculty and all research units out there trying to engage students. What we're really hoping for is 50 really, really motivated students. What we can offer, we think, is a really amazing opportunity to, first of all, actually try to do research, to learn and grow a method that even elderly scientists are trying to grasp. So 
We could see from the dialogue in the groups that the SDU researchers are also interested and actually took up some of the points from the students. So we see it to some degree as a collaboration. What we can also offer in the program, besides some really, really good researchers from both globally and locally, we are having uh, no less than two research trips. So what we're doing for one is we are going for four days to Switzerland to visit the Citizen Science Center in Zurich. They have a, a center a little bit different than ours. Their own building, their own platform, their own teaching community, their own citizen science school. Uh, the leader of that uh, associate professor called Rosie Mondadini has simply agreed to take us on for one and a half day and teach the students and probably also us, some of us who are going down there who work with it, a few tricks on actually how to grow the projects. And then afterwards, we are going on to the Citizen Cyber Lab. It was one of the first big platforms out there. And it's based in CERN, which is, I think if you're into physics, I believe you probably are aware of its existence. And one of the professors there who had helped grow the digital humanities are also doing a workshop for the students. And then in the end, we hope that the projects the students are working on are strong enough or research-minded enough to go into abstracts for the European Citizen Science Conference, which is in the fall in Berlin. It's called EXA. Normally, every second year, there's a big conference in Europe, and the other year, it's in America. So in 2022, it's in Berlin. And what we are really hoping for, this is a little bit ambitious, is that the students' projects are strong enough or good enough to actually be handed in as papers or posters and could be displayed along any other scientific you know, product or whatever you would call it at a conference. And of course, we can't guarantee that. I myself work with researchers and we hand in things from time to time that get ejected because, I mean, it's research. Of course, most of the time we are fortunate enough to get something in the program. So we are really trying to achieve quite a high benchmark for this. But what comes out of it, besides a really nice program and some study trips, are some really, really good competences that you could use for your masters if you want to write that, but also are skills that if you want to work with social entrepreneurship, maybe you don't want to go out to do a startup, but you want to hack an organization from the inside, or you want to work as a consultant with co-creation between citizens, public actors, and universities. You get some really unique and thought-after competences, sort of maybe more modern competences, that organizations, companies, universities, schools are actually looking for right now. So it's also, and of course that should not be the main reason, but it could be a reason to join. It looks quite good on your CV when you display these things uh, later on, perhaps at a job interview. We are nearing the end of our episode, so as a usual question, may I ask you to share a life hack of your own design with us? And I thought about it a little bit because I maybe thought it should be, you know, related to citizen science, but I'm not going to do that. I am going to go out on a limp because I think working with citizen science and I think what we do at the center is facilitating dialogue. But that also means that you have to be open and curious and, and Sometimes don't take yes or no for an answer. So how do you keep an open mind? And I think the simplest trick I taught myself, I go on my bicycle out to work. It's 5K and I do it almost every day. 
but I have this commitment to not taking the same route every day. Because I heard from a psychologist in a podcast that if you take a different route every day, you are more likely to keep an open mind than if you take the same route every day. So I also occasionally do walks in the evening and I try also not to take the same route every day. It's probably a very simple life hack, but it works for me. Oh, it's a very nice one. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This podcast was brought to you by Merit Student Media. It was a pleasure to have Thomas this week. Stay tuned to our social media to hear about our next episode, which was actually recorded by Emma and me, where we introduce ourselves as new members of the podcast family. I wish you all a very nice week and good luck for your exams.